Travel back in time to the 80s, reliving the laughter. <laughs> the heroes. Pick up your phone and call the professionals. Go Ghostbusters. And the honesty. What's up, Norm? My nipples. It's freezing out there. Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Sure, it's not 1985 right now, but who knows what tomorrow will bring. Partners, and welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your host, Brad in LA. And Spearsy. And today we're going to ride the open range, cook coffee over a campfire, and get into countless gunfights as we honor the 1985 Western Silverado. Stuck in the 80s is now listener-supported via Patreon. Join us for VIP happy hours and more when you join it at patreon.com slash stuckinthe80spodcast. Well, look at this. Two of my favorite people in the world talking to each other. Steve joining us today. He hasn't had a drink of whiskey or slept in a bed for 10 days. It's our old riding buddy, Drew. You used to ride with that guy? Yeah, but my mother called me Slick. Calvin Sanhope. But my mother called me Slick. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can see why. I promise not to make stupid Western jokes the whole show, but I think I got it out of my Mm-mm. system now. That's the whole point of Silverado is is the stupid I, stupid Western jokes. That's why it's such a great film. I think you may be right. Before we get to that, yeah. I know what you're thinking. How on earth did we get Steve, I don't like Westerns, Spears, on board for this topic? Two things. Relentless pressure and compromising photographs. <laughs> the goat was not hurt. Um, I was told this was going to be a podcast about Chevy pickup trucks. Mister, you got a lot to learn about people. Oh, uh, well, you know, maybe a little misdirection too. Let's set the stage a little bit for this. So cast, cast your mind. It's a crisp fall day. Actually, no, it was released in the summer. The year is 1985. Five years earlier, a sweeping Western with a sparkling ensemble cast, Heaven's Gate, fizzled out so badly it cratered the western genre probably forever but lawrence kasdan he uh, had a little juice at that time he'd just come off uh, screenwriter credits for uh, raiders empire strikes back this little picture called return of the jedi he wrote and directed the big chill so he cashed in a little bit of that a little bit of that something something and convinced columbia pictures to greenlight silverado oh bad drink you ain't got any money you buy me a drink. The plot, I'm not even going to try and summarize the plot. It's, it's too much. Four cowboys ride around together doing cowboy stuff. I, I think there's a better way to approach this. Uh, first question, though, Drew, did you see this in the theater? I'm pretty sure I did. My dad was a huge Westerns fan. Uh, we saw okay. everything. So I'm I'm like 99% sure that we went into theaters to see this. Okay. So you were one of, uh, probably one of the 10 people that saw Heaven's Gate, too. Probably. Did they release Heaven's Gate? I thought for a reason <sighs> it was they, it was only in, it, it was only out for a little while, yeah. It was out for like two weeks or something crazy like that, and then they recut it. Anyway, this is a different podcast. Yeah. We'll talk about that on another show. Yeah. But we've, we've seen all these different wonderful 
uh, westerns. It was like my dad's favorite genre. So that's what I'm sure I saw it in theaters. Nice. Yeah, I did not see it in the theater, and I don't remember when I first saw it, but it was, you know, this is one of those kind of love at first sight movies for me. Yeah. Steve, I'm going to guess you didn't see this in the theater. <laughs> I, I saw Since, this four days ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the theaters aren't open right now, so pretty sure. Yeah, so, no, not in the theater. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I don't think this was not a big, this did not do big business. It was up against, it opened against Back to the Future. So, yeah. you know, for, forget it. It's, they're screwed. Again, the huge ensemble cast, right? The primary characters are Scott Glenn as Emmett. No, oh, man, I could die of thirst before anybody offered him a drink around here. Kevin Klein as Payton. Hate to see any man swing. It's bad luck. Kevin Costner as uh, Emmett's brother, Jake. I told you to practice on horses not moving, huh? And Danny Glover as Malachi. If I find any cattle on our land after them all, I'm going to start carving them in the stakes. But around them is this just bouquet of stars. <laughs> yeah, it's nuts. I mean, the group of people that he got for this is really, I mean, you got Brian Dennehy, uh, Jeff Goldblum, James Gammon, John Cleese shows up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, John Cleese is so great in this as a small town sheriff. He walks in and drops the, the Monty Python cop yes. line as he comes in the door. <laughs> I was wondering if anyone else caught that. Did you notice that, Spears? Yeah, yeah. I, right off the bat, that was the first big laugh of the movie. What's all this, then? Oh, Amanda Weiss, fresh off of yeah. uh, Better... I, I, not, yeah, better the other there. night from Drew. Amanda Weiss is a prostitute in this movie. <laughs> I'm like, well, you know, everyone's got bills to pay, man. Yeah. And Linda Hunt, who... Um, also, I was looking at something. There's like five or six Oscar nominees slash winners in this. Oh, yeah. And then Linda Hunt, of course, she won the Oscar for um, playing a man in the movie The Year Living Dangerously. So she's the first person to win an Oscar for playing someone of the opposite sex. So stellar cast, crazy stellar cast. I have to say there's a, the scene with the cavalry guy who's like, you know, he, he issues one of my favorite lines. I had a gal do that to me. It didn't make her my wife. That's Sheb Woolley. <laughs> oh, was who, that Sheb? Uh, yeah, who who sang Purple People Eaters, but also is the guy who recorded the original Wilhelm scream. Yep. Which you hear everywhere. <laughs> Forget using the sound effect. We'll just cast the guy. <laughs> I, I think what's really interesting, too, about this cast is you're, you're getting all these different people at different levels of, of their fame. Like Kevin Costner wasn't even on the map yet. He, right. he had done Fandango, and American Flyers would come out the same year as Silverado, but still – not a household name. Scott Glenn, on the other hand, was on fire. He had done Urban Cowboy, Personal Best, The Right Stuff. And I mean, he had stuff dating back to the 60s. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Klein, who I think got top billing on this on this movie, had Sophie's Choice in The Big Chill. And then, you know, Danny Glover was on the cusp of fame. He yeah, had done Still on the Witness. upswing. Yeah. Yeah, he had done Witness, and he'd been in Hill Street Blues, and literally every '80s t sh TV show there ever was: BJ and the Bear, Lou Grant, Great American Hero. But but his big breakthrough, if if it's not this one, would be Color Purple, which also came out in 1985. You you kind of know the story behind this, right? I mean, what why Kevin Klein and Jeff Goldblum and Kevin Costner are in this, right? Because it, it was cast, and he had just done The Big Chill, and famously, Kevin Costner played a role in that where he was the dead guy. But he had a whole scene where he he had a suicide scene, 
in the beginning oh of the movie. Yeah. And they cut it because Kazan was like, I can't start a kind of a, you know, a, a dramedy, a comedy film with a suicide. So he completely cut out Kevin Costner's role. And then he felt so bad for doing it because he liked Kevin Costner so much that that's kind of why he decided to do Silverado next and to give Kevin Costner that role of Jake. So yeah. that was, it was kind of a, hey, I'm sorry for cutting you out of the role. Let's do this movie. And that's, again, you know, because Kevin Klein and, and Jeff Goldblum were both in the big chill. And, you know, Jeff Goldblum's kind of an odd character. And, well, he's always an odd character. Sheriff, I'm a gambler who'd like to run an honest game here in your town. But he's an odd character. He just kind of film. is. <laughs> yeah. He's Period. just kind yeah. of Stop. <laughs> but that's kind of how this movie got, got made is because of Kasdan feeling bad for Costner. Well, wasn't that kind of a Hollywood thing at the time? I mean, wasn't that like – that's almost a Hollywood tradition, at least of that era, that you know, if you got wronged by – by a director in one movie, there was there was always the the unwritten rule that he's gonna he's gonna make good by it. Yeah, in the a little future. bit of patronage there. Yeah. yeah, a little bit of like, hey, you know, make it up to you in the next one. Yeah, they still try I mean, that, by the way. <laughs> I still get that all the time. Hey, will you cut this uh, spot for me? I'll make it up to you on the next one. Yeah, <laughs> how's that working out for you, Drew? It does not work out anymore. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. I think that the cast is really well used in this. Brian Denny is just fantastic as the slightly bad guy sheriff. I hate to see this kind of thing in my town. But I have to look into this. James Gammon as the has a really small part, but he makes the most of it as, you know, the kind of what would you call him? Just an outlaw. Yeah. Prime outlaw leader. Guy. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's only a couple of guys up there and this asshole is one of them. I love that scene. It's so great. And his voice is so so recognizable. The first time I saw um Major League, I was like, oh my god, it's the guy from the canyon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, little known fact, that crime boss's great-grandson went on to manage the Cleveland Indians. So again, I think this is this is not maybe an amazing Western. The cat, like I said, the plot is hard to describe because there's so much of it. And the movie is long. It's two hours and 15 minutes. And, you know, you might notice when you see this, that Roseanne Arquette gets big billing, but her character's barely in it. And it's hard to figure out what she's even. Yeah. But most of her stuff got cut. Yeah. Her stuff got cut. So, yeah. you know, but she still gets paid. So I guess that's okay. You came all the way out here just to tell me you're going to California. All you had to do is go and we never see each other again. I really do think that New Mexico is another big character in this movie. Yeah. It just looks amazing. It's just such a love letter to the genre and to the countryside and to the setting. The studio really wanted Kazan to shoot this in Spain, but he was insistent that it needed to be America because the American West has a look and people will be able to tell. And I, I think it shows. The town itself was built on a private ranch. They were flying around in a helicopter looking for a place to shoot, and they came upon the spot. And it became a set that has been used over and over and over again. It's a staple location now. In 1999, actually, I have a friend that was working on the Wild Wild West movie with uh, Will Smith. I don't know oh, if yeah. you've ever seen that. Kevin Klein is actually in that, in that too. Yeah. But they were shooting a scene in this town. He was up on the hillside watching them, watching it unfold. And I guess the pyrotechnics went off and there were way more than there were supposed to be. And the wind was blowing and basically the entire town burned down in about 45 <laughs> seconds. The guy's like, it's one of those moments where you see the first house catch on fire and he's just like, we're done here. He turns around and walks away. Oh, man. But they've yeah. since rebuilt it. And it's, if you, any, really any Western you've seen in the last, 
probably 20 years has shot there. Yeah, they actually also sure. have, uh, I believe Wyatt Earp was shot there, which was, again, Kevin mm-hmm. Costner and Lawrence Kasdan. Uh, but there is a Kasdan Steelworks building there as kind of oh, a nod nice. to Lawrence Kasdan. Well, Young Guns, too. Yeah. Like we said, I mean, you so mean many Westerns. The other 80s it's- Western? Yeah. <laughs> You're in it now. It's going to get me. Let's talk a little bit about the storyline. Maybe you guys can do a better job of explaining it than I can. I just like to sit and watch this movie and let it wash over me. But there, there is a sequence of things that happens. It's just each of the main four characters has a, kind of a through line, and it they kind of blend and they kind of don't. Yeah, it's the you know, the town of Silverado. There's a land grab going on there. In, in any good western, there's a land grab, and the McKendricks are are wanting to take over everything, and standing in their way is actually kind of Danny Glover's character, his dad, his dad has yeah. some ranch land as a, a um, farm. Yeah. Farm holder. Yeah. Yeah. And I then, mean, it's rancher, ranchers versus farmers. It's you yeah. know, a tale as old as, as Westerns. As homesteaders you brought in with, you're going to make it worse. They come into this office to stake their claims. It's going to be the start of big trouble. And then Emmett and Jake get involved because his brother-in-law is the town, um, not the recorder. What runs the land office? Yeah, he runs that the job. Which is that called. guy? Did you notice who that guy was? Who plays the brother-in-law? No, he was in um, Home Improvement. He played the neighbor who always <gasps> was on the other side of the fence. Oh my gosh! And half the time when you see him, he's bandaged up so you can't yep. see his face. Exactly. Mm. <laughs> so he runs the land office. So that's why they get involved is because it's you know Emmett and Jake, and then. Payton's just along for the ride. I mean, he gets involved because he's friends with one of, you know, he friends with, with uh, Brian Dennehy, who's kind of leading the bad guys. Spoilers. Yeah, he's the, the, the local. Yeah, exactly. The, the local corrupt sheriff who yeah. used to be a, an outlaw. So um, they all have yeah. their little connections to this overall land grab. That's really the, the main thing of it. And of course, as things get nastier, they get nastier and, uh, and, and they're, but they're on the side of justice. <laughs> yeah, so it's okay. Yeah, I mean, this movie has got a body count. There's a there's a shootout every ten minutes. You ever seen what a Henry rifle can do in the hands of somebody who knows how to use it? Who would that be? You? Yes. And one of the things is like we talk about the Western tropes that this thing just kind of I, I love how it plays with them. One of my favorite things is I don't know if you guys noticed, but usually in westerns they'll shoot around like you know like they'll wait for the guy to stick his head out from around the corner and then they shoot him. Uh, this one they yeah. just shoot him through the walls or they you know sh- shoot him through a, a doorway <laughs> or you know it, it, they they don't they don't stress about trying to keep exactly some of those those western tropes. And one of my other favorite things is when he's gonna they talk about hanging um, Kevin Costner's character Jake. Blind Pete always said you'd hang. And I guess tomorrow at dawn, he'll prove him right. And then the uh, he's like, well, uh, 10 a.m. Like, yeah. He goes, oh, that's right. How is that they did it at dawn? I just love that little. <laughs> the other thing you mentioned about the shooting, I don't think any of the primary cast members miss a shot the entire movie. I mean, these guys are, you know, Red Dead Redemption, Dead Eye, perfect every time. Well, I mean, they said that early on when he says, uh, again, when they've sprung Jake and they're racing away and. Uh, the guy says uh, about Malachi. You idiot. He's hit everything he's aimed at. It's like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, he has. And then the great you look know. from uh, Emmett as he's running into the bad guy's camp. He's going to go release the horses. Oh, and- right. And so he's trying to make it look like he's shooting at him. He's like, hey. <laughs> A little too close. 
You know, no one stops to think, how does the guy who's been working in the slaughterhouses get so good with a Henry repeating rifle? I don't get it. More tropes. You got more tropes. Um, I, I think the uh, the shootout at the very end, the you know kind of high yeah. noon, tump, literal tumbleweeds blowing across the street. Well, like, not only the really, not only the tumbleweeds blowing across the street, but Dennehy's standing in front of an open desert thing, and Payton is standing in front of the white church. Could you be more symbolic than that? You know. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, can you tell my excitement for this movie? I'm just jumping in. I, I love this freaking movie. Uh, I can't tell you when I first saw it, as I mentioned, but I I will watch this anytime it's on. And my family kind of pokes fun at me for it. Uh, I was surprised that Katie sat with me and watched it last night because usually she's like, really, are we doing this? But it's just, <laughs> it's enjoyable. It's not going to yeah. challenge you too much with the plot. There's no like big twist at the end like oh, I'm actually my own uncle or, you know, yeah. I'm a cow too. You know, none of that happens. It just is a straight take on the genre at a time when that just was not done. Nobody was making Westerns in the 80s. So yeah. we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But it just isn't uh, isn't something that you saw much of. Yeah. Is that a fair mix? I'm saving lives here. The straight stuff would raise a blood blister on boot leather. I meant it seemed like a lot of whiskey. Steve, as the guy who just saw this for the first time, I, I really want to try and get some of your impressions for our listeners who maybe haven't seen it uh, to make them think about, you know, whether it's worth, you know, putting their eyeballs on this for two hours and 13 minutes. I think it's the ensemble aspect of it that I'm that I was really dumbfounded by that not in a good way I knew it had Costner you had told me you maybe had told me two or three people that were in it you didn't tell me that there's like there's 15 people you're going to recognize that are in this and I remember seeing Jeff Goldblum and I'm thinking well this is going to be interesting he's you know he's going to have a he's certainly not going to be a villain and it's like he's a villain <laughs> I, just when is Jeff Goldblum ever a villain and I guess it kept surprising me and the other thing i thought was i, I liked brian dennehy for like three quarters of the movie yes yes I'm like yeah I, yeah i could see where if he offers me the job that kevin klein says and like here's a great job you're gonna make a lot of money eh, you know some things are gonna happen here and there that you're not gonna love <laughs> but overall it's, you're gonna have a really nice existence I, i'd be pretty tempted to take the money and just be like okay deal and yeah. the movie ends right there, forty-five minutes into it. So, <laughs> so everybody I, dies I, in the end. Yeah, yeah. So, but the, so the fact that he becomes a little bit more evil and then a little bit more evil, you know, I mean, to me, Don, Brian Dennehy is always he's always going to be the nice guy from Cocoon. You know, yeah. even even I kind of whitewash First Blood and say, well, you know, I, I only saw that once anyway. It's like Brian Dennehy's always the friendly alien. He's he's not the villainous sheriff. So, so I like the fact that this movie kind of cast against type, yeah, cast against type defied my expectations. I kept I kept expecting it, like you guys said, it's it's just a love letter. It, it doesn't try to reinvent the genre. I kept half expecting it to do that. Like I'm I'm thinking, well, here's this movie in 1985. You're going to have to be a little bit different to succeed. Well, no, they they just did it straight up, and that's what we got. And um, you know, would I watch it again? Yeah, I probably would. I mean, maybe once a year. So, I mean, you know, mission accomplished, guys. <laughs> I'll say this about Brian Dennehy is that, yeah, he's, he's he comes off when you first see him. He's the nicest guy. You just really love him. And even at the end, when he says, What a waste. This could have been such a sweet deal for us. 
He yeah. even feels like, you, or you get the idea that he feels actually bad that he has to have a gunfight yeah. against his the friend. The inevitability of it all is yeah. just like, how did we get here? And and I'm, I, I know it's you or me, but that's, you know, hey, that's the way it was. It, and uh, no hard feelings is kind of the way I feel like that last shootout <laughs> yeah. is. Yeah, just just bad luck. Just bad luck. It's, it's the line from Cocktail. Everything ends badly, otherwise things wouldn't end. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Wisdom from Cocktail. There's your first book. <laughs> Things I learned from watching bad Tom Cruise movies. Um, the one thing that I noticed last night is when they are burning down the land office and they kidnap the kid. Like, oh, yeah, they they had to take him because nobody would recognize any of these people. They all wear the exact same coats all the time. <laughs> Like, you know, McKendrick, when he rides into town, he's wearing that coat. When he kidnaps people, he's wearing that same coat. Like, gee, no one will figure out who that was. I actually saw something interesting about the costume designer. You know, my daughter's working to be a costume designer, so I now pay a lot more attention to that kind of stuff. And she made a point of each person having a separate silhouette. So when your heroes are riding along, you know which person is which just by their silhouette. So, you know, Costner's got those distinct, like... Kind of like chaps that just go over his over his calves, and mm-hmm. you know, you've got um, Payton's got the long jacket, and yeah, so it was all the, even their yeah. hats were all kind of different. And the hats, just the hats all have a different silhouette. Yeah, yeah. The symbolism of this movie, like I said about the you know that you've got the desert behind one guy and the church behind the other, is the way it starts out. I don't know if you guys noticed this, but it literally it starts out when Emmett is asleep in his cabin, and it pans along all the stuff a cowboy needs. It hits his, you know, it hits the, yeah. the saddle, it hits the boots, it hits his gun. It, it just hit like, like the beginning of um, To Kill a Mockingbird. You know, it just shows all the little items that that, that person needs and has. Yeah. I just love that opening. Katie kind of laughed when we watched it last night. She's like, that's convenient. How, how carefully lit this cabin is. <laughs> but uh, but the, the Emmett character, if, if that character reminds me of any other character in, in movies or literature, it's the gunslinger from the Dark Tower series. Yes. If they had made a Dark Tower series movie in the 80s, you would have wanted Scott Glenn to play that character because that's just, it, it's so, I, I mean, again, I, I realize that that's a, a very kind of tropey, bog standard character, but man, he, he occupies that role. It was self-defense, sure enough, but I do think you'd have to say I killed old Murdo. And I think that's definitely the word. Can we talk about the soundtrack? Please, let's. I love the soundtrack. I've been whistling it all day. Okay, so it was, um, oh gosh, Bruce Broughton, I think is his yeah. name. Mm-hmm. And he's done, what's funny is that he didn't do a ton of movies. He did a few movies back in the 80s and 90s, but he's done a lot more TV stuff since then. One of the things I noticed that for some reason I just really loved, he did a lot on the music for the Animaniacs, which. Oh, really? Random, I love that because I oh, love the Animaniacs. Awesome. Yeah, but I just think it's one of the great soundtracks is the hero theme that he has, you know, as they start mm-hmm. riding into Silverado for the last thing. And it's just like. Oh, it's so it's, good. Yeah. I mean, when you when you up that soundtrack with the you know kind of the opening montage of Emmett riding his horse across the American West just mm-hmm. like I'm in I want to be in this place it looks amazing it sounds amazing I would like to be there yeah and the different as he's going along he hits like 
every biome you could possibly find. I'm like, where is this guy? <laughs> he's writing for He's making coffee. He's sitting around his campfire looking pensive. He's painting in the middle of the Sahara. I don't know where this yeah, guy exactly. is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, in red long johns. It's a good look. <laughs> This was an interesting little thing. So apparently some eagle-eyed viewer noticed that John Cleese's sheriff, it's his gun is an English uh, pistol. It's not oh, really lesson. So he, he's using an English pistol. Yes. English made pistol. I wonder if he has trouble getting, uh, you know, ammunition or if he has to do, you know, load his own rounds. Probably uh, everybody in the old West loaded their own rounds. Yeah, probably. Although, so I just you know, the, the boys probably had an extra horse to carry all theirs around. There's so much shooting. Oh my God. <laughs> They just had a wagon they dragged along with them with all the ammo. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. The guns are for sale. You know, there's one thing that that comes to mind as you guys talk about this movie and you – you wax poetically about the the, sco- the musical score and the, the little details and the the, the, the sights as you, they ride along in the West. I'm wondering if if part of your attachment to it and my detachment to it is cultural. Like, I, I'm like if this were the old West right now, I'm the guy who stayed back home when you're writing letters to you know who's who's like ah oh, I'm not going out west. You know I'm staying here on the East Coast. You know where it's all safe, and you guys are the ones on the horses, you know riding out, and you and you're the two who live in California. I'm the one who's never been, you know, west of Tampa Bay. So I I sometimes wonder if there's just a there's like a switch hmm. in our brain, like a mindset. This, yours have been yours have been activated. Mine mine not so much. Well, I'll say that since you say, you know, living in California and then being out on the range, there's this little sound right here. Hopefully you can hear that. Th- those are my actual spurs. Um, uh, my, my friends. Open- I, I don't need to know about what you and no. Amy are doing with the spurs. Okay, Drew? <laughs> I do not need to know. That's a different podcast. No, I was back in the uh, mid 90s. A friend of mine opened up a horse stable out in Saugus up by you. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, huh. Sam, by uh, I can never say this. San Francisco Canyon. Yeah, that's right. That's like a yeah. mile from where I'm sitting. Yeah. So my friends opened up a ranch called Renegade Ranch, and they basically had a, a stable of horses that you could that you could rent and you know go out on rides. And when they first opened up, before they actually had people coming up, they knew that I knew how to ride horses. My my father, he lived by the Warner Brothers Studios stables. And so the guy that taught John Wayne how to ride taught my father how to ride because my father would go to the stables and help with the horses. So my dad taught me to ride. So I knew how to ride. So my friends are like, well, we need to exercise the horses before people show up. So the horses aren't all jumpy. Can you come out? So I came up and I started riding the horses around. And then when people showed up, they, um, my friends then said, well, you know where all the trails are. So why don't you take people out? So for about two or three years, that was my job. I was a wrangler up at this horse stable and I was taking people out on <laughs> That's rides. amazing. How and, old were you, Drew? Um, 24, 25. Okay. Right around wow. there. And, and I remember one time. one tall drink of water there. Oh, Rich yeah. Hand, oh, yeah. Drew. <laughs> I always had to ride the biggest horse. We made jokes about the, they could always find me because I left troughs on either side of the horse as my feet dragged on the ground. I'll never forget. There was one time it, we, we had, it had been raining for a while. And this, the corral was wet and muddy. And so we'd taken all the horses out so that way it could dry up because it finally got sunny. And yeah. in the middle of the afternoon, a hailstorm happened. And we had to run around and get all the horses back in the corral in a hailstorm. And I remember thinking to myself, it's the mid-90s, and I'm 
I, I, I'm pushing horses in a corral in a hailstorm. This is so freaking awesome. <laughs> so that's why I have the chaps and I have the spurs and I have all that stuff is from my, my couple of years working at the horse stable. That's so funny. I, so I've funny. once seen a horse. That's, that's the extent. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm not a horseback guy. Touch it. We, I didn't we go on the these horse. family reunions every couple of years, and one of the things that they have on the grounds of the stables for riding, and the rest of my extended family are like, oh, we're going to go on a two-hour ride and a three-hour ride and a five-hour ride. And I'm like, I'll be here drinking beers. Oh, pictures. Oh, God, I love it. no horse. interest. I just don't have any interest in it. Went on a two-day horseback ride up into the Ojai Mountain Range up the Cespies. Oh, wow. Went up one night, a camp out overnight. You sleep on the ground, then you get up the next morning, and you ride back out. And we got up to about 8,000 feet. So I've done Good the grief. Western I love westerns and I love you know that whole thing. So that's probably another reason I love this movie so much. You know what I love? The, the Seggies. What's happening, hot stuff? Ah, by the sound of the gong, it must be time for mystery movie moment. I don't know why I'm pacing myself that way. I guess you know, I'm winded like a horse. I don't know. Do horses get winded? I don't know. <laughs> You've been rode hard. They tried away wet. That, that phrase always kind of makes me wince a little bit. I don't. I don't know. Oh, why. good. Well, actually, I do no. know why, but I'm just not going to say it on the podcast. <laughs> That's for your other uh, podcast. This is a stuck second. in the '80s after dark. We do one yeah. podcast with me where we don't end up talking about porn. I'd really appreciate that. <laughs> it is always. It is always the one where you're on. Not me. Guys. I don't know what it's that's not me. Anyway, this is the uh, segue where we play a snippet from a movie. If you get, it, if you can guess it and get it right, and emails in t- on time, which has been a problem lately, uh, you're in into the drawing for a. <clears throat> I can't even say it today. Postal friendly bottle opener. Hmm. That's crushed good. it. I feel good. I feel I feel winded. I'm sorry, even though I didn't really do much the first half of the show. Uh, anyway, pay attention. Here's the clip from two shows ago. Hey, you all right, buddy? I'm fine. Are you with our group? No, ma'am, I'm with the economy tour. Yep, that's Octopussy. There you go, Drew. There's another one for you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, we did a... And to deserve this. (laughs) Oh, so much fun. Uh, Anyway, Brad, read some of the winners. Uh, Winners this week include Darren in Yukaipa, Mark, the postal-friendly mailman, Chip in Maryland, Kevin Crescent Wench, Miles in L.A., Mike in Oz, Scott Rubenstein, Peter Ryan, Lou, Sweet Lou, Greeley, and Charles Parker. Dudes. All dudes. Are we surprised? No, we are not surprised. Nope. The ladies do not watch the James Bond. Not, not really. Not too often. I forget what we do here. Uh, we oh. play another clip. I, we talk about oh, this okay. movie, maybe. I, I tried to find a clip. I decided to use this movie, and I tried to find a clip with the guy, uh, VJ Arm- Armitrage, who is a tennis player. There's a scene oh, yeah. where he basically uses a tennis racket. <laughs> oh, <laughs> character really? uses a tennis racket. It's hilarious, <laughs> but it's all just sound effects and boing and you know cars racing and stuff, so it w- wasn't really working. So I went with this clip instead. It's an underrated Bond movie of the 80s. I mean, people always think of, you know, For Your Eyes Only. Um, but I, I think Octopussy's just as good of a movie. The cast, well, the cast, not the cast. The The plot is a little more convoluted. Like, there's three or four storylines that you're trying to figure out what the heck's going on with the Fabergé egg, and then there's a yeah. is this the bomb. Circus and, one? Uh, this is the circus yeah, this one, is right? The circus one. This is the circus, yeah, the circus one. one. That was weird. The name is unnecessary, but other than that, it's, it's yeah. a fine movie. And, and I would rather watch this a hundred times in a row before I am forced to sit down and watch A View to a Kill again. So <laughs> Fair. 
pay attention. Here's this week's mystery clip. It's good to see you. Good seeing you. You know, I said to Jerome, Jerome, I said, that sure looks like Marcus's van. Our old team van. If you know it, email us at podcast at SITDs.com and tune in in a couple of weeks to find out if you're a winner. Ah, the mystic refrain that is Name That 80s Tune. The original, uh, Seggy. I remember when we first started doing this, like, I don't know, probably 13 years ago, 14 years ago. Yeah. And each week we would, we would have the little clip, like, you know, the two-second clip of the song. And then the next week we'd say, oh, that was just, uh, you know, soft sell. And we would never play the, the, the whole song. And people were like, what? What was what? Huh? Yeah. We've gotten better. Oh, and back then we used to have a, a, a producer who recorded the show for us. And he would actually play the clip live into the, into the recording as we were sitting there doing really? the recording. So I didn't have – yeah. So we didn't have to actually, you know – like we don't even know what this week's clip is yet. I mean, <laughs> spoiler alert. Yeah, <laughs> but the, the uh, ultimate fix it in post. Yeah. So he, but he would always do that, and so those those were the days, man, when, when we didn't have to do as much manual lifting, like live radio. That's the way it goes. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like live radio, exactly. Anyway, pay attention. Here was the clip from the last time we did this seggy. I think about two weeks ago. Here you go again, Drew. That's Man Size Love by Climax. <laughs> I want a I know why you guys had me on this show. Uh, you guys really, <laughs> you guys just want to talk that. about porn and you're like, Drew's our, our I did gateway. I not even think about this. <laughs> <laughs> you know why I picked that song? Because it was on the, um, it was on the songs that peaked at number 15 playlist. And I'm like, this is catchy. Like, I haven't heard this song in a long time. And I'm like, I bet no one's going to get this. And I also remembered it's on the soundtrack to Running Scared. Oh, I love Rose Oh, Scared. yeah, yeah. That's Ooh. such a good movie. Can I throw out a real quick trivia question since you guys have been doing your the songs that peaked at number two and, you know, that yeah. thing? Can I give you a quick you trivia question? Um, as long as you don't expect us to know it. Yeah. Bruce Springsteen has had only one number one hit. What is it? Oh. Hmm. I'm on fire? It's not Dancing in the Dark, and it's probably not... It's probably not it's Born not, in the USA. It's probably – is it from the Born in the USA album? Nope. Glory Days. No? Nope. No, no, it's not. Oh, you, got, okay. you guys want the answer? Yeah. Yes. Blinded by the Light, and he didn't even sing it. It's the Man for Man version. He's never had a number that's one a, hit. That's, that's a cheating – that's a misleading question. The, I, you, you said I Bruce Springsteen not. had – not Bruce Springsteen wrote a number one song. You said he had it, which implies that he sang it. That qual- oh. question is disqualified, and you are banned from the podcast. <laughs> Fine. You guys can never talk about porn again. Okay. You're back. <laughs> That's the kind of question we would ask on tri- a trivia on the 80s cruise, though, and we'd have that answer, and people just, like, oh, explode in fury. We yeah, would word it Ramos, more carefully. We it. <laughs> well. 
<laughs> <You're right. laughs> Some other people would too, but but for the most part, everyone everyone just wants to second guess us and be mad. I just have always <laughs> been surprised that Bruce has never had a number one hit that he sang. That just seems insane to me. Yeah. Did you ever hear or read his autobiography that he did? Like I don't know, five years ago. No. Is it good? It's really good. Oh, it's fantastic. And yeah, if you're yeah, going to do it, get get the audio version. But he talks about the fact that I don't think he made any money at, in, until – it might have been until Born in the USA. Oh, like wow. Until he finally was able to break into the black. He, he was losing money all those years. Wow. So crazy. I know. But that's the way it goes. So anyway, Brad, read some winners. Winners this week include Crispy Critter, Kevin Serving Winch, and Kyle K. in Arkansas, who writes, This week's mystery tune is the song I imagine that the future Mrs. Spearsy will be dedicating at the wedding to her new husband. Everyone raise a glass to my man-sized love, Steve Spears. This song comes from the cleverly spelled all-female band from L.A. called Climax. Okay, Kyle. (laughs) Uh, You you just made the list. (laughs) Yeah. The, tell the tell the wife to skip this episode again. Anyway, let's spin the wheel and find out who takes home some uh, swag. Brad? Oh, let's let Drew do it this week. Yeah. All right. Uh, let me stretch. I haven't done the wheel in forever. So, all right, here we go. Oh, God. Yikes. There's a, definitely a muscle tear involved there. <laughs> I think I pulled my labrum. <laughs> Uh, it's going to end. The wheel will land on Chip and Maryland. Hey, you're this week's winner. Send us your postal-friendly address, and we will send you a postal-friendly bottle opener. Uh, in the meantime, pay attention. Here's this week's mystery clip. If you know it, email us at podcast at satds.com and tune in in two weeks to find out if you are a winner. We'll be right back after this commercial break. And we're back. We have a few minutes left. I thought we'd chat a little bit about where Silverado ranks among Westerns. It's not up against much in the 80s. So uh, you almost have to say, where does it rank among Westerns since, say, the last, I don't know, 35 years since it came out? I, I did some research. I, I felt like, you know, if I wasn't going to be able to contribute to the first half of the podcast, I can at least contribute to the second half. Thoughtful. I, I found two, two rankings that okay. I thought were one is from Esquire.com, but it only ranks the top 12 Westerns of all time. Mm. And. Well, no, all time. No. I think this is going to have this is going to struggle against all time because there's so many yeah. classics of the genre exactly. that this so, stands on the shoulders of very clearly. It's not. I mean, Esquire has Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, The Good, The Bad, and the Ugly, and The Searchers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, oh, I, gosh. And interestingly enough, nothing from the '80s made the list. Only two fairly recent movies did, and that was True Grit from the the 2010 version and oh. No Country for Old Men. So okay, 
Yeah. Oh. I mean, I almost think you could say that the Westerns of the 80s are Westerns hiding as science fiction movies. Oh, okay. Like, yeah. You know, I, I actually, Star Wars is a 70s movie, yeah. but Star Wars is, an, is kind of a Western. Outland is definitely a Western. The Road Warrior is kind of a Western in yeah. a lot of ways. True. Yeah. If you go to Rotten Tomatoes, which we like to quote on the podcast a lot, they did a list of the top 100 Westerns of all time, and they used their tomometer, if that's a thing, which I think is just their... <laughs> They're fresh rating, basically. Yeah. So that's what they use. Silverado comes in at number ninety-one. That seems high. And, that seems high the, to me. Um, yeah, it's between two movies I've never heard of, uh, "In the Valley of Violence" from twenty sixteen and <laughs> "The Ballad of Lefty Brown" from twenty seventeen. Jeez. Huh. So well, I mean, look. Okay, I don't think it's a great Western, but it is a great love letter to the Western genre, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I I don't know if it's just a love letter. I, again, I love this movie, so I got I, I got do too. It, to me it's a Western. It's a Western through and through. I don't know if it's just a love letter to him. I mean, it's yeah, it has all the 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 things you know the tropes, but it also has all the things you need for a good Western. And it's and you know uh, for it to to rank at ninety, would you say ninety one? Ninety-one. I, I'm sorry, but <laughs> there's so many. There, there's some great. The funny thing about Hollywood is they always try to make westerns because they think that that should be a genre that should be successful, and they'll they'll do one, and then they'll do six more, and the other six will do crap, and one will do well. Um, yeah, and then they stop doing them for a while. And, and they're it's like, just okay, kind of that, that genre's yeah. dead. Yeah. yeah. So I I love it. I think it ranks up there with some of the better westerns. I mean, if I'm thinking of of great westerns you've got tombstone dances with wolves unforgiven like we already mentioned the searchers you know those are those are some great westerns and i think it's up there with those at least to me personally like and like, like i've like i've said many many times on the podcast i'm not a, i'm not a western fan and i don't I, I still don't know why except for my theory that it's a cultural thing but when forced to to try to rank silverado first of all i would say it is a very superior 80s film yeah, and it's got a very '80s cast. I mean, you can, as an '80s fan, you have to appreciate this movie at least on its take it out of the genre and just say this is an '80s movie, and it's a fantastic '80s movie. There's no question about that. You see all these stars at different levels of their career. Yeah. Oh, and there's there's no there's no bad spot. That being said, if I have to pick my favorite Western movies, um, Unforgiven or Outlaw Josie Wales. Oh, Outlaw Josie Wales. I forgot oh, about that. Oh, gosh. It's so good. It's so good. Yeah. You know, you mentioned the cast. There's someone we forgot to mention, and he's so 80s, but Jeff Fahey. I guess you couldn't hear us coming. He's practicing so hard for a fight. He missed the whole thing. He was also Lawnmower Man in the movie Lawnmower Man. Oh, my Man. gosh. I didn't see that. Um, oh, wait. And, and isn't he? He's the helicopter pilot in Lost. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's funny. I didn't, I didn't realize he was in a lawnmower man. He's delightful in this. He's Tyree. just so just nasty. Yeah. Just nasty. Yeah, Tyree. And, and I love the what story of the little dog. About the dog, exactly. And how he talks about, well, the, you know, the, he went to jail for that dog. And he goes, that worked out. The dog sprung me. <laughs> yeah, that's a great character. Tyree. Tyree. Where's the dog? But to me, I don't know. I just, this is just such a great film. And like you said, it is such an 80s cast. And I, that may be another reason that I love it so much because of all that. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I just don't think you can go wrong with the sweeping vistas. The, the soundtrack is is just peerless. It fits 
the material so well. The cast is outstanding. Everyone hits their spots. You get these great little moments where you get a little bit of Beth from Better Off Dead. You get John Cleese shows up. You know, the manager of the Cleveland Indians is here for a minute. And it all just makes this it makes this picture that's just it's fun to watch. Whether it's great or not, I, I don't know. I can't tell you whether it's great. I'm just a podcaster, but I think that as a movie it is extraordinarily entertaining i think it really holds up it's easy for a western to hold up because it's already a period piece to start with but i just think that this is a as as steve said it's not just a good movie it's a great 80s movie yeah and that's probably more due to the cast than anything but i think you can give kazan some credit too i mean he's bringing his sensibility to it as well Mm -hmm. at the end of silverado jake yells we'll be back as he and emmett right off opens the door for a sequel we're still waiting. That sequel has yet to arrive. So 35 years later, we're still wondering what happened. Did the boys make it to California? Is Peyton still the sheriff? Did Mal and his sister go back to Chicago? Most importantly, did Roseanne Arquette actually grow any food? <laughs> we may never know the answer to these questions. But while we ponder them, Drew, Steve, and I will be right here, sitting around the campfire and hopelessly stuck in the 80s. We'll be back! is now on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show, go to patreon.com slash stuckinthe80spodcast. Special thanks to Check Battery Daily for our theme music, and thanks for listening. Howdy, partners, and welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your host, Brad in L.A. <laughs> and Spears. Okay, let's take that one from the top. Man. <laughs> and scene. <laughs>